Ladies and gentlemen, The Handlebar is located right here in Chico and is one of our personal favorite craft beer bars and restaurants. If you've never been, they're located at 2070 East 20th Street. And they have a happy hour, seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m. That's right, seven days a week. You get a dollar off any of their amazing craft beers they have on draft. It's a great list. Go check it out. It's changing all the time. They also have amazing food, cocktails. They have a great patio, dog-friendly, kid-friendly. Bring your dogs and your kids. Who cares? That's The Handlebar Chico. 2070 East 20th Street, right here in Chico. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hey, and welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema, your hopefully favorite craft beer and movie podcast based in Chico, California. My name is Max Minardi. I'm Johnny Summers. How y'all doing out there? This week on the show, we have our review of The Summer of Soul. It's the music documentary from first-time director Amir Thompson, better known as Questlove from The Roots. And with the help of never-before-seen footage, it tells the story of what came to be known as Black Woodstock, a six-weekend festival in Harlem during the summer of 1969. That's right, and we're drinking two beers from Jackrabbit Brewing out of Sacramento. The first one is a peach pale ale, and the second one is going to be a blood orange IPA called Mm. Citrus Sunset. Pretty Mm. excited for both of these beers. So if you're listening on KZFR 90.1 FM this lovely Thursday evening, you're hearing my voice. You will only hear our first beer and the spoiler-free portion of our talk about Summer of Soul. But yeah, give them a little bit of hope here. If they do want to hear the entire episode, they can find it plus more than, believe it or not, 220 other film and beer conversations, episodes of this show, dating all the way back to 2016 at any of the following places. On the Spotify, the SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts, we drop new episodes every Friday. If you like it, please rate us and review us and let us know. Let other people know. Spread the word. Yeah, if if you've done all that and you want to now find us on social media, be our friends, follow us, that sort of thing, we're on Instagram, Letterboxd, Untapped, we're on Facebook and uh, Twitter. You can find us at Fresh Hop Cinema, or if you want to save yourself a couple steps, just go to our website, www.freshhopcinema.com. Or drop us an email at mm. fhccast at gmail.com if you've seen this movie, this documentary, I should say, or if you have tried any of these beers from Jackrabbit. Or if you just have general questions, comments, concerns, complaints, praise, all of the above, or maybe a nice gravy recipe. Nice. I haven't gotten one of those in a while, so send it over, <laughs> fhccast at gmail.com. If you have followed us on social media, if you have sent the emails, if you're like, what else can I do to be involved in this show, you can give us money on Patreon. That's where you can give us a buck a week or $2 or three, however much you'd like. And in exchange, we give you access to bonus content, exclusive invites to our uh, up and coming events. Now that sort of COVID is on the back burner, we're going to start having events again. We have all sorts of fun bonus content series, including sometimes just kind of shooting the breeze, sometimes extra movie reviews, sometimes what it means to be a best boy in a movie production. We explain all that, and all that bonus content goes back to when the show started in 2016. So if you just can't get enough of us, you can find all that on patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema. Johnny Summers, that's enough housekeeping, I think. Let's get into beer number one. And just before we do, you said we're drinking stuff from Jackrabbit Brewing Company. They are no strangers on our podcast. Maybe give me a little background on uh, our relationship with Jackrabbit, if you would. Yeah, this is actually their fourth appearance on the show. Mm. We kind of seem to cover them about once a year, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, as we plod on through the years, that'll start to happen more and more. Uh, 
This is, like I said, their fourth appearance. Their first appearance was episode 111, where we covered their coffee oatmeal stout way back in February 2019. Yeah. Uh, and then we also covered Waffle Town Maple Brown in March 2020 of mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then episode 183, we did Strawberry White Ale in July of 2020 last year. Uh We've liked some of their beers, we've loved some of their beers, and we've been real cold on some of their beers. So we're definitely all over the map with this brewery. So kind of a fun one to revisit once a year just to see what they're putting out, what they're kind of doing these days. So I'm excited to dig into the Peach Pale Ale and then also the Blood Orange IPA. Those have been done quite a bit, specifically even by breweries in Sacramento. So I'm really curious to see how theirs matches up to some of the others we've had. All that to say, let's jump in, maybe. No, yeah, I was going to say one other thing. Like, I just when we we listed them like that, I realized the thing that appeals to me, um, just on looking at their beers most of the time, is that they have some really interesting um, flavor combinations and names for stuff. Like you, Waffle Town Maple Brown, which I, we both really liked. I remember us both being, I think, above an eight on that out of ten. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember liking the strawberry white ale. I think you you maybe mentioned there wasn't enough strawberry in it for you. But I think they do a good job with adjunct-based beers. Um, and like you said, I think every beer we've done from them has been an adjunct-based beer to some extent. And and the two today mm-hmm. are no exception. So, um, yeah, you mentioned it. Peach pale ale, um, obviously, seems pretty self-explanatory. It's a pale ale with peaches. Uh, it's 5.5%. Johnny Summers, tell me what it says on the can, if you, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, so on the can it reads, this is a pale malted – wait, what's it say? Hold on. It's sideways. I'm it's trying sideways. not to spill it. Yeah, I have half the beer left. It's very hard. Don't want to ruin my keyboard. Sure. Pale malted barley is the foundation for this light and duh. They left the D off. Typos. Yeah. Uh, foundation for this light and refreshing pale ale with a healthy dose of peach. Uh, so yeah, kind of probably could have figured that out. Sure. But sure. That's what they say, and they didn't have much online about it. So that's the descriptor we have. No IBUs available. But yeah, five and a half percent alcohol. Peach pale ale. Yeah. Let's gorgeous dive can. in. Look at that. I mean, I like their, their can design too. I remember the strawberry white ale having a similar kind of thing. It was just a, a white can, I believe a 16 ounce can with a wraparound sticker. I believe it was strawberries and maybe some, some wheat on it. But this one is, is white with some peaches halved all the way around the sides and, and the name of the beer on the front. So very straightforward. Um, and I'm hoping the flavor is similar. Have you poured yours or tried it yet? Yeah, I've poured it and tried it, but I do have to say that their can design is, is pretty clean and pretty eye catching. Yeah. Part of the majority of the reason I picked up their beer and then looked at the dates to see if they were fresh and then even Googled it to see how long we'd done it. Yeah. First started with just eye-catching labels. The The labels screamed summertime beer. They yep. just looked like something I would want to grab and sit by the pool and drink. So right off the bat, that's the first thing that usually draws your eye. So trust that. See what happens. That's usually what I do. Um I have tried it. I've poured it. I wish it was a little bit colder. I'm probably trying this a little bit warmer than is ideal. Uh-huh. It's got a big nose. Yeah. Okay. I got. I already have thoughts, but you keep going with yours. Go ahead. Well, I think this is a great case of expectations, um, or, or rather, trying to. I should have gone in with with diff or with no expectations, probably because in my brain, this was going to be a super sweet, robust. Pale ale, like almost too sweet. And I forgot that there were going to be hops in it at all. Mm. And those hops are letting themselves be known immediately to me. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very present with the hops. It has a peach, peachy note to it. Uh, It is definitely 
accentuated, I would say, by hops. It's a it's a really bitter beer. It's it's yeah. bitter like a pale ale. I mean, it's not surprising. But I mean, I think we're kind of spoiled to when we see peach on something, we automatically think it's just going to taste like peach rings yes. in this world of smoothie sours and crazy crap that we drink all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have just like an actual peach, peach juice type undertone in a hoppy pale ale is probably more understated than both of us were anticipating. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm still trying to wrap my head around how I feel about this beer as well. I am too. And that's a challenge that I actually really enjoy. Cause you, like you said, when you smell it, it's, it's very peach forward. I it definitely lended to, to my expectations of it being a sweet pale ale. And of course there are sweet notes. There's a ton of peach in there, but it is far and away. I would call it, if I had to pick sweet or bitter, I would, I would go bitter almost certainly. Yeah, absolutely. On the, the front middle and end of the spear, it's, it's bitter. It is definitely peppered with notes of peach, but it is not the star player. The peach is definitely second fiddle to the pale ale aspect of this beverage. A hundred percent. I'm picturing myself as a as a peach farmer in 1860, kind of taking my wagon to market. And and a lot of my peaches were sold at the first market, but I'm trying to go to the second market to sell kind of what I got left. And what I got left are maybe not the creme de la creme of my peaches. And like my donkey's tired from pulling, but I've got these peaches <laughs> and I'm gonna sell them. And I'm a straw hat and I'm munching on these peaches, even though they're way too bitter for what I would usually use to represent my farm. But here we are. And I actually don't hate that. I like I like the spirit it makes me feel. Like I'm a go-getter and I'm gonna go to the market with my peaches. Yeah, like don't give up on these peaches. No, and I to that to that point, I do like this beer. I think it's I think it's tasty. Well, I like it because it's first and foremost beer flavored. When you get fruited anything, especially pale ales and IPAs, that's a fine line that you have to walk between super sickly sweet and overly saturated in flavor yeah. versus letting the beer speak for itself. And you obviously want to find a balance somewhere in the middle to make it a good representation of what you're trying to sell. Um, and some that we've had go way too far in the sweet direction. Yes. I can't say that I've had too many that have a fruit type adjunct that go subtle with it, except of course the strawberry white ale from, from Jackrabbit, which I really remember disliking quite a bit because I was, I felt robbed of any and all strawberry flavor. Yes. It was really disappointing. Um, and this, at least it has the peach nose and it definitely has peach flavor, but it's just married with such a bitter, robust, still very nice and very drinkable hoppiness from the pale ale. It's it's kind of at odds with itself. It smells one way, then it tastes another, but then you get a little bit of the peach flavors. Uh, this beer's kind of got its feet in two different lanes and I don't know... I kind of wish it would have picked one, but I also kind of like the balance. Like this beer is making me have feet in two lanes. Totally. Yeah. I bet it does sort of change your, your, you mentioned that makes you want to kind of kick up by the pool and relax. And this, this no longer is that kind of beer for me. Mm. Still, still is with for it? me. Okay. okay. Yeah. It's just too, yeah. Like the bitterness is, is so intense for me that it's just not quite that sort of quaffable quenching summer beer vibe, but I still, I do like it. And I like that it's challenging. I, I give major points to something that is uh, going to potentially be a bit divisive. I like that. You know, I just sleep. I just really like it because it's not too sweet. Like sure, you still have sure. the peach flavor and the peach notes, but it's not overbearing. It's not too sweet. 
and uh, it's still drinkable as a pale ale. Is there fruit in it? Yes. Is it the star of the show? No. If that's a, if that's what you're looking for, this beer is probably not for you. But I would say if you want a peach pale ale with like real subtle peach that's more pale ale than peach, this is this is a beer drinker's fruited pale ale for sure. Yeah, it's it's a West Coast IPA drinker's beer. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know all that having been said, I don't know that peach is the best move as far as fruit choices go for this kind of thing. Like I'm trying to think of a fruit that even when a little bit bitter is still a nice quality, like, like a lime, like a citrus fruit or, or even like, like a mango, even when not totally ripe is still pretty good. And I think those flavors might work a little bit better, but I I still don't dislike this by any means. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's why historically speaking, grapefruit pale ales and grapefruit IPAs do so well. Cause that, flavor profile lends itself to the hoppiness of the beer. But yeah, a peach, when you think of a super ripe peach, you do not think of anything bitter or hoppy for sure. Yeah. If, if nothing else, this makes me interested to see what the blood orange IPA is like later in the show. Um, but do you have anything else you want to talk about before we rate the peach pale ale from Jackrabbit? Um, no, I think we've pretty much covered it. It's, it's definitely not too sweet. It's way more pale ale than peach. If you're into that, beer for you it's not steer clear yeah yeah that's that's kind of my only warning then also to people buying it is like you do i think intrinsically kind of expect that sweetness and as long as you know you're not going to get that going in i think a worthwhile beer to buy five and a half percent why not um okay johnny summers out of 10 peach pale ale jack robert brewing co what are you going with mm, out of 10 it feels like a mm, for me it's like a six one okay 6.1 seems seems totally fair i'm gonna go with uh, a seven. I give major points again for that sort of willingness to potentially upset a couple people and, and then doing that, that, um, that expectation switch, I think justice in a, in a pretty decent beer. Yeah. For me, my rating was lower because it's not a completely blow your socks off pale ale. Yeah. It's not a super completely blow me away peach ale. It's it's not a, a crazy version of either, but it's like kind of a above average version of both of those things combined. I could not agree more. That is all I have on Peach Pale also. Cool. Well, once again, you're listening to us, Fresh Hop Cinema. You get a chance to try Peach Ale from Jackrabbit. We want to know. Tell us. Reach out. Email us, fhccastgmail.com, or find us on all the social medias at Fresh Hop Cinema feel free to leave a rating and a review once again on Apple Podcasts. We are going to play you a trailer for Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. If you haven't had a chance to catch up with that movie yet, either in a local theater or on Hulu, don't worry, we're not going to spoil it till much later in the show. So stick around and we'll be right back. Nobody ever heard of the Harlem Culture Festival. Nobody would believe it happened. Six weekends of major artists. The Panthers were the security and kids were sitting up on the trees. I was nervous. I didn't expect a crowd like that. Something very important was happening. It wasn't just about the music. 1969 was a change of era in the black community. The styles were changing. Music was changing. And revolution was coming together. That concert took my life from black and white into color. 
wanted progress. We are black people and we should be proud of this. We were coming together to say this was our world and how beautiful it was. We're gonna try to sing a song together. Don't wait for your neighbor, because your neighbor might be waiting for you. We believed in what we felt in here. So when we went up, let's go. Let's go do it. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, and that was a trailer for Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. In the summer of 1969, the people of Harlem attended the Harlem Cultural Festival to celebrate black history, black culture, music, and fashion. The festival would later go on to be dubbed Black Woodstock, and performing were the likes of uh, Stevie Wonder, Mahalia Jackson, Sly and the Family Stone, um, David Ruffin of The Temptations, plenty of other artists. The festival, B.B. King. B.B. King, sure. The festival was filmed by a professional film crew for posterity, and then the footage was promptly buried from the public, and over 50 years later, that footage was dug up and assembled by Amir Thompson, who we mentioned earlier is better known as Questlove, the drummer for The Roots, and he shows us the concert itself, obviously, but he also manages to contextualize that concert within the greater scope of 1969, talking about things like the moon landing, um, the heroin epidemic in New York, uh, and even some featurettes of the musicians today seeing the footage for the first time since they played the festival. This was a film that was on both of our radars, I think, Johnny, when we were talking about picking a movie for this week. And yep. I think you mentioned it, and I was like, oh, yeah, like I totally forgot we didn't even have that on the schedule. So I'm so glad you mentioned it because I was so looking forward to seeing it. Um, I think per tradition, though, I'm not going to give my thoughts yet. I'd love to know what you thought, kind of what you expected, um, and maybe how this stacks up to other uh, concert films that you've seen. Yeah, absolutely. Before I get into that, this was released July 2nd in mm. theaters and on Hulu. Runs about just shy of 120 minutes. Yeah, so sweet. it is a, just a couple clicks away on Hulu. Um, definitely click on it. Okay. So, Summer of Soul, I it had been on my radar for quite some time. I had seen trailers popping up and was just fascinated because, one, I love documentaries. Two, I love learning about things that I have never even thought of that existed. Uh, and this is one of those things that was in its time, epic and groundbreaking and completely brushed under the rug. Mm -hmm. It feels like a massive travesty to not only U S history, but you know, black history and music history, uh, that this just kind of got swept under that rug for so long. It was massively overshadowed by another music festival in 1969. You yep. might have heard of it, yep. Woodstock. And I think we've all seen the documentaries on that. If you haven't, there's some good ones, yeah. some great concert footage, you know, the likes of Jimi Hendrix, and the list was yeah. extensive. Um, but what we find in Summer of Soul is this really thoughtful and well-put-together documentary with not only interviewing musicians that performed, but deep diving with attendees that were there as yeah. children and, and as teenagers and as college students that had never seen any of the footage. And we got to kind of relive it with them. And it felt like peeking behind a historical curtain to this absolutely magical event that took place over multiple weekends that was just filled with with vibrancy and life and community and culture and 
the most amazing fashion. And it was such a fascinating look at what it was like to be alive in 1969, specifically in New York and yeah. even more specifically in Harlem. Um, a real deep dive and a, a pretty neat education uh, of a, a slice of American history. And I think it was real sad that this had never been released. Uh, but I think it's amazing that Questlove was able to pull this together. And uh, I thought it was an absolute treat. I It got me emotionally a few times. There were songs. One of the biggest things I enjoyed were or was putting together some of these historical iconic songs with the people that sang them. I'd heard so many of these songs hundreds of times, be it in yeah. car commercials or movies or what have you, all across pop culture, not knowing that they came from these really influential and groundbreaking, mold-breaking artists from the late 60s. So that was really the best part for me was just getting a thorough education into soul and all other different kinds of music. So this for me was an absolute treat. I enjoyed every minute of it. It was impossible to look away. I couldn't stop remarking to myself on the amazing fashion and just how yeah. beautiful their, yeah. the clothes were. Um, everything about this, it was a, an audio and visual and mental educational absolute gem of a documentary that I'm so happy exists. So I think you should 100% watch it. It's a big thumbs up for me. And uh, that's my thoughts in a nutshell. Yeah. I, I'm, I was sort of warring with myself going back and forth. I'm not sure what this is listed as uh, in terms of genre. Cause it's, it is a documentary, but it's so much more than that. And it's, and, and it's not just a concert though. It is also clearly the concert. Like you see a lot of just performance, um, mm. but it's those two things. It's also social commentary and it's all this woven into one, um, based on this, like, I think it was like 40 hours of footage that Questlove as a first time director, by the way, manages to, to weave into this larger sort of quilt of 1969, the summer of, and that in and of itself, I think is a really amazing feat to say nothing of, of the actual cinematography that was, that, that was captured that day and the music and all that. Like, um, so from that perspective alone, I think this is worth checking out because I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know about this and shamefully, I suppose, but I had never heard this. This isn't taught. You hear about Woodstock kind of as like the big festival, but 1969 is obviously eclipsed by a lot of other things like the moon landing, which comes up here. And I'm sure we'll get into some of that as we discuss this film, but mostly I just like the multiple lenses through which you can watch this movie. Like you can watch it. If you're just like, let me hear some fun late sixties, early seventies music during the time it was written and performed. Like you can watch it for that. Or you can watch it to understand how the social conscience was feeling about Vietnam. Like it works on all these different levels. I think that's so interesting. And it makes this movie transcend, uh, you know, just your average documentary or concert movie. I think it's so cool. Yeah, it evolved into a really interesting narrative with multiple lenses. And it could have very easily gotten cluttered and bogged down. But I think... Uh, it was a real testament to the editing and, and the way it was put together that it never did like get in its own way. And like, it never stayed in one lens too long. You know what I mean? It yeah. had all these amazing perspectives, but it wasn't about any one of them. It was about the collective, all of them. And totally. I thought that was genius filmmaking. I guess I was also sort of caught off guard by how 
how large of a scale this thing was. And there was no, right? official, like it was all free. So there's no tickets and there's no, there's no tracking how many people came. But I think the estimate that they gave in the film was over the six weekends between three and 400,000 people came. And like the, the mayor of the city, John Lindsay was on board with this. Like it was a huge thing for the black Panthers. They provided a lot of the security. Like it was a huge thing. And the fact that I didn't hear about it until this movie started being advertised uh, points points a pretty accusatory finger at something. And I, we can probably speculate on on why this footage has never been seen. Um, we don't have the greatest track record of, of treating uh, black art very well in this country. So I'm guessing that's part of it. Um, I was also super intrigued by this idea of this festival as a means of like calming people down to avoid riots. And like that yeah, comes that's- up. They said that in the movie, yeah, that they, maybe they had this festival so that they wouldn't burn down Harlem in 69. Yeah, and like, I don't know, man. The more they talked about what was going on, it was like, well, I kind of would have understood if that's the way, if that's the route you guys took. Like, sure, but like also music as a means for preventing that sort of thing I think is a really beautiful concept. Yeah, definitely. And and the t- togetherness and the community of it all and all the kids running around and the fact that it was free of charge was just... I don't think there's ever been a music festival like that. I mean, I haven't heard of it, but I guess that's not to say there hasn't been one, but I <laughs> right? haven't heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently we can't hang our hats on what we have and have not heard of. Right. You got your, you got any like favorite performances? I know you mentioned a couple that, that got you, which ones were they? I really liked, um, was it Nina Simone? Sure. She was, yeah, she's in it. Yeah. I just, and Gladys Knight was amazing oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, BB King you forget just how legendary that dude is. Uh, and also Sly and the Family Stone. We were we had a moment with uh, the song Everyday People mm-hmm. because I had never heard that much of that song. Where had you heard and, it before? Uh, like in, in the snippet. Again, like in car commercials. Like yeah. I think that was the song <laughs> for like Ford Ugh. or something for yeah. a summer. But um, which seems very just I know, like, ugh, cheap when you actually... Like- listen to the song and it's like yeah i i turned to to shalina and was remarking is this the best song ever recorded that was way ahead of its time mm-hmm. i mean just an anthem of togetherness and anti-discrimination from everyone just yeah. we're all just everyday people like it made me want to revisit a lot of that music that was a big highlight for me it was just getting more of a perspective on that song and also the context of the band Sly and the Family Stone and what an anomaly they were for black music at the time as far as, one, having women in the band playing trumpets. That was like a first, which is really cool. And just all these things, like it was this marriage of old soul and like traditional quote unquote like black music like phasing out of the the temptations motown doo-wop into this what did somebody call it um like a a psychedelic soul something like that you know just getting more into like the psychedelic pop rock and just genre bending and it was fascinating to to get more context on the 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 artist sly and the band sly and the family stone that was super enlightening and also that's like immediately one of my favorite songs now Oh yeah. I, I think it has to be, you know, that was yeah. the other thing for me is like, I, I hadn't heard, like I heard that song for sure, but there's so much of this music that like, I didn't know David Ruffin went solo after the temptations, I guess maybe I didn't either. I don't know. I thought like it rang a slight faint bell in the distance, but I'd never seen him perform solo. Like little stuff like that. Like I forgot how freaking awesome Stevie wonder is like, 
Because most of the yeah. stuff you hear about Stevie Wonder now, musically, is like people our age, at least, like superstition for sure. And then if you go a little deeper, music people know more. But I mean, he was what nineteen? I think he says in in this film, like uh, just tearing it up. Like the movie, I think, yeah. starts with Stevie Wonder, and he's he's doing his keyboard thing, but then very quickly somehow walks himself to a drum kit and plays drums. Stevie Wonder's blind, if you don't know, and I'm sure he had help. But like, <laughs> yeah. still, like. He he moves a lot on stage for somebody who cannot see where he's going, and he does it very well. Yeah, and we did have a bit of a deep dive on Stevie Wonder after the movie as yeah, well. Okay. He actually had uh, – he's the youngest person ever to have a number one hit. His first number one hit was at age 13. Wow. Which was like six years before this festival when he was performing at 19. Yeah. I think like, one, of the, one of the more interesting things, too, about, about – you know, pop ish music or pop popular music, I guess I don't mean stylistically pop, but I mean, popular music of the time is that a lot of it was just sort of rehashing older tunes and then popular artists kind of redoing those songs. And, and I think Stevie wonder talks about this in, in the movie. He was at this turning point in his career and his life where he knew there was something in him that made him want to do his own thing. And his own thing was going to be weird and maybe people weren't going to like it. Um, so I like the idea that the hit you're talking about was probably somebody else's and he was obviously slayed it, but then like, we're right on the cusp of like the Stevie wonder that we all think of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So cool. Such an amazing look into music history. I know we're both music fans and obviously you're a professional musician. So it had to be quite a treat for you just to get to absorb some of those songs. And so many of the artists I had never heard of, which, you know, feels like a bummer, but also it's, it's, it's why I watch movies like this is to open my eyes and learn about things that I didn't know about and see things from more lenses than my own. And like, for sure, I'm going to like buy the soundtrack to this movie and, and do some deep dives. Cause there was some great music in it. Yeah. From, from the musical perspective, I, I didn't fully appreciate, and I'm sure I still don't, but after seeing this, I appreciate it more. Cause there's a lot of soul music and specifically religious music, um, that gets brought in and kind of woven into these performances and mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever really paid attention to how much of folk music is is based on gospel. And mm. and it seems so obvious now that I say it out loud and then I watched it and I made that connection. I was like, well, yeah, of course. But like so much of the kind of music that I love playing is based on a lot of gospel music, which I, I'm, yeah. not a, I'm not a gospel music kind of guy. I'm not a, necessarily a gospel kind of guy. So I didn't necessarily connect that in my brain on my own. To, but to see it on screen, I was like, well, that makes total sense. I got so much appreciation for it. And just like the musicians on stage, like they mentioned in the movie that the budget was low for like lighting. So they had to face it towards West, Yeah, like, which if you've ever been on stage or, or like driven into the sun, it sucks. It's so mm-hmm. bright. And like you just have to do it. I guess if you're on stage, like, well, I guess we're singing this and everyone was just like sweating and they just killed it. Like you'd never know. And if you were just listening to those songs, the version that was recorded, you'd never know. They were probably super hot and, uh, just sun in their eyes. Yeah. And a lot of them were in full three piece, like probably polyester suits. Yep. Yep. Which is just wild. They were probably dying. Those outfits, though, so cool. Like Stevie Wonder, I, that's what I wrote in my notes. The first thing I wrote in my notes, I wrote uh, Stevie Wonder in that suit. And I underlined suit because like right? everybody looks so good. And I was like, oh, I guess just everybody looks awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. I couldn't get over the fashion in this movie. Like, dude from The Temptations blew me away with his fur collar. Pink bow tie, like get out. So you cool. look so good. I know. Just put a little effort in. That's like people show up to gigs now in like a t-shirt and a backwards baseball hat. And it's like, come mm-hmm. on, man. Like people want to be entertained. Put on granted, I I 
nobody knows this unless you follow me on Instagram, but I wore a pretty sweet couple outfits from my gigs in Reno recently. Your jackets for the Pepsi so were cool. pretty on point. <laughs> so I was like, now it's like this perfect sort of alignment of me seeing these people from 69. Like, yeah, I think like they do. We got to dress up better, everybody. Put on a good right? show. Sweet like Caroline. <laughs> i don't know if we can i don't know if we can quote neil diamond on the radio but we just did oh well Eh, that's fine it's fair use or whatever bring it neil i don't know about that. what do you think (laughs) you think we should rate this movie (laughs) yeah let's rate it man i feel good uh and then we can we can spoil some stuff later but yeah let's let's rate it and i feel like we're gonna run into the wall that we often do when it comes to uh either movies based on on true stories or actual documentaries which is like for me it's hard to grade them like they are a standard film because so much of this is like cultural context and you appreciate it from that angle, which is not something you always have to factor in for non or for fiction films, but let's give it our best go. Yeah. What what are you thinking out of 10, man? Uh, Out of 10, it felt like a, oof, it's going to be high. It's like a nine, three. Yeah. I do have to ask then why it's not a 10. I don't know. Like, I feel like a 10, I don't know. It's hard to give a documentary style movie a 10 because it's not like, you, you know, I give 10s for like amazing acting performances and yeah. things like that. Yeah. It's hard for me to it's, get behind a documentary as a 10, but like, I think 9.3 is like the best rating I'm ever going to give a documentary. I'm sure it's one of the highest you've ever done, if not the highest. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I'm going to go with a nine. Like, it's so good. Um, but yeah, there is something it's maybe it's just us being conditioned and watching so many, uh, fiction films or, or non non documentaries that I don't quite have the scale in my brain to, to dial in all the factors, but it's so good. Um, so nine for me, 9.3 for you. Do you have anything else on summer of soul? No, I, other than just go watch it. No, I'm sure we'll get into more stuff that we liked in a moment, but for now, no, I'm good. Okay. Well, once again, you have been listening to fresh hop cinema. Summer of soul is now probably in a theater near you, unless you live in Chico, it is not. But if you live in Chico and you still want to watch it, find it on Hulu. If you get the chance to see it and you have thoughts of your own, Find us on social media at Fresh Hop Cinema or send us an email to fhccast at gmail.com. Or head over to our website, freshhopcinema.com for film reviews, beer reviews, and episodes of this here podcast dating way back to 2016. To our KZFR listeners, the full-length version of today's conversation will be available tomorrow morning, bright and early, 7 a.m., wherever you get your podcasts. And to all of our normal, regular podcast listeners, we'll be right back to talk spoilers in the Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Okay, welcome to the Danger Zone, everybody. Like Johnny said, we are going to spoil some stuff. Oops, just kidding. I don't know. I don't know that we have to spoil too much is what I was going to get at. But you stole my line on the radio. So here we are with people assuming yeah. we're going to spoil it. Um, yeah, at the end, everybody died. No, I'm just kidding. There's no crazy spoilers, really. Um, the festival went off without a hitch. There were no riots or nothing, and everyone seemed like they had a real nice time, and it kind of changed a little bit of history, and no one ever heard about it. Dude, did you stick around to the end of the credits? I don't know why you would. This isn't a Marvel film, but there was yeah. there was a post. Did you see it? No, but I literally thought that. I was like, I'm going to turn this off. This yeah. isn't Black Widow. I don't need to stick around. So I let it roll because I was taking notes still. And there's a scene, like literally not like mid-credit, at the very end. Everything's done. Like we're seeing the logos from all the production studios. And it's Stevie Wonder on stage with another dude who I think might have been in his band, but it seemed more kind of a suit kind of guy. Okay. Um, and like Stevie Wonder's clearly making him uncomfortable. He's like talking on the mic to the crowd. They're Both of them standing on kind of the catwalk. 
and says something. He's like, this guy's going to do something. He promised he would sing or something like that. And then dude's like, no. And then Stevie Wonder's like holding his clothes, like grabbing onto him. And dude's like, Stevie, all right. Now listen, I put up a lot of stuff. You need to let go of my clothes. And they go back and forth. And eventually Stevie goes, what do you mean your clothes? I bought them. (laughs) (laughs) But right before he leaves, he like whispers, he's like, all right, I'm leaving now because blind, you know, like he's not going to know. Yeah. Um, but it was a very funny moment. Like I, I almost want to see, cause again, 40 hours of this stuff, like I'm sure some of it's just like trash and like cameras moving and whatever, but there's, I bet you a bunch of moments like that, that I would love just to have released to the public on like some website that was just like the Harlem culture festival. Here's all of the footage chronologically. That'd be so Honestly, fun. Honestly, cause it would be fun and it'd be fun also to see all of the performances. Yeah, totally. Like I'd love to see the full sets. Like I'd right. love to see BB King's full set. Because they really only played one song or half a song of a lot yeah. of the artists they covered. Yeah, I'm sure that'll. I, I can't imagine that wouldn't. I mean, Questlove being being the musician that he is, like, must have an appreciation for that sort of thing. Oh yeah. So barring any like weird legal stuff, which I also can't imagine being a thing, I'm sure that'll be available. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of those artists would like sign over some rights or like you know let them use it yeah. because it's gonna push them into relevance again. They might sell some records. Right. Um. Let's talk Moon Landing. Yeah, that was pretty hilarious. Moon landing and and riots because yeah, those both felt very familiar over the last couple of years. The moon landing, more specific to our circumstance with Jeff Bezos launching himself into space this week. Yeah, um, but also like all those riots in '69, like after Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. were assassinated. Yeah. Like, did it not seem real familiar? Like, oh yeah, it's terrible. I was going to get to that eventually. What I was going to say is just from a cinema perspective, there's a great montage that happens when we actually get footage of the moon landing mm. overlaid with, do you remember who was performing? It might've been, um, pops and the, uh, uh, Mavis, who was Mavis? Uh, I can't think of her last name right now. Uh, Mavis Staples, the Staples singers, right? Pops and the Staples so, singers, yeah. I think was the group. I think it was them singing about sort of the world or whatever. And we're getting footage of the moon landing, which in most contexts, when presented to us, the Apollo 11 mission is like the most grandiose, important, groundbreaking achievement of humankind ever. And then somebody interviewing people at the festival is like, you hear about the moon landing. And one dude's just like, yeah, like, which is cool. Like from a science perspective, but like stuff that I care about, like I know people that are starving to death. And if you got a government who is spending a ton of money on weapons and going to space and can't feed their citizens, like something's wrong. Yeah. I love that tie-in. And then that's getting to what you're saying today is like we just had, I think the day of our recording, Jeff Bezos took a few people to space because he could, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm not the most informed on this, but it did seem like like a bit of a recreational trip. Yeah. No, it's just for fun. And Yeah, and it's hard to not put that into today's context and be like, yeah, like we still have people starving and like this dude's rich enough to, to fix a lot of, not just America's like the world's problems with, with the insane mountain of money that he has. And like, just priorities seem kind of wrong, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I loved in the movie, the dichotomy of the interviews with like the, the black dudes in Harlem that were like, man, I don't really give a shit. Like, Uh, yeah. And then there's the one white guy that's like, really feel like we all came closer today. Yeah, together. it's the people watching the moon landing versus the people that are at this festival. And it's like different, yeah. different crowds for sure. Like, oh, uh, it was cracking me up listening to the white dudes. Just like America got a lot closer together today. We're all we're all unified. I think you know, it's just like, and uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. Like that's probably like whenever I've seen the moon landing before, there is this sense of awe and like we look what we've done. 
as things that used to crawl out of the water or as tadpoles, like we've come so far. And then it's like, you recontextualize it from the perspective of somebody who you are not most of the time. And it's like, all right, well, this is darker than I thought. Like I haven't considered this other perspective, which is right. a bummer, but now I have. So I feel I've done, I've done my duty. Now I'm a better person. I don't know. <laughs> well, at least, I mean, you've taken a step to expand your mind a little bit and that's all anyone can ever ask. I guess. Um, so I, yeah, I like those moments. My other favorite sort of cinema thing was, was, and I, I can't imagine this was filmed like this. So I'm going to attribute it to Questlove, but there's during Stevie Wonder's longer performance toward the, the last third of the film, you get this sort of overlay of film with him, like doing his foot thing on his wah wah pedal and playing and it keeps switching back and forth and it makes this really immersive experience that transcends sort of the typical concert single camera with some switching up between cameras, but like single shots. And I thought that was really artistic and a very cool way to sort of capture the feeling of, of that song in particular. Yeah, totally. That was really cool. Um, I think that's about all I have on this. I'm just looking over my notes one more time. Um, Oh, the moment, the moment with Mahalia Jackson and Mavis Staples. I was asking you about musical moments. It's like Stevie Wonder was great. BB King, obviously, but there's that moment where, um, Mahalia Jackson and Mavis Staples are sharing a song and Mahalia Jackson being the more seasoned and older performer says to Mavis Staples, who has to be like 16, 17, something like that. She's like pretty young. Yeah. Mahalia's not feeling so good today. Maybe you could help me out with this song. And then we're all like, I'm sure she's feeling fine. She's just kind of like being nice and like wanting to incorporate this younger girl to help sing and kind of pass the torch. And then she mm -hmm. literally, I don't know if she passes the torch, the torch being the microphone, Mavis Staples at one point just kind of like takes it out of her hand because she offers it. Um, mm -hmm. And we get a Today interview with Mavis Staples who says something like, um, oh, she offered me the mic again. Like she must like what I'm doing, which is like a really nice moment because it's like this generational gap where it's like we've come. That's the moment of people coming together. It's like. We're carrying on this grand tradition because they were both very gospely and keeping that spirit alive in their music and, and now going from Mahalia Jackson's generation to Mavis Staples. And that's a really nice musical moment, I think. Yeah, it was. And it was also really neat in that moment. Was it Jesse Jackson that had been speaking just mm, before that? That sounds right, but I'm not positive. Yes, because he was there when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated yeah, as oh, well yeah. as the, the saxophone player. In, yeah. in essence, that song that they were doing was right. Martin Luther King Jr.'s favorite song, and they were eulogizing him yeah. en masse at this festival, and it felt like this really powerful moment because, yeah. you know, maybe none of those people were able to make it to any of the big services if they had, I don't even know. I'm assuming they had a big memorial for MLK yeah. Jr. I think um, so. But, you know. I'm pretty sure that not a lot of people from Harlem were able to make that. So for yeah. like a couple of MLK Jr.'s friends and confidants to be there and speaking about him and like to have that shared experience of, you know, sharing grief and eulogizing a hero of, of theirs and, you know, quite frankly, America's, sure. um, I thought was really neat because there's something in that communal being able to have those emotions uh, that is important, you know? And I thought that was a really cool moment. They were singing his favorite song. And then that moment of torch passing happened in that song. It felt like yeah, really powerful. Just like one of those, like, wow, that's amazing. They were able to capture that on film. And so many people were there to experience it together. It was just really a magical moment in this film. Yeah, agreed. Okay, I'm good on Summer of Soul if you are. I am. 
Okay, if you get a chance to see it, just like we said earlier, let us know, everybody. Um, you got all the stuff in the notes. If you're listening on the podcast app, there's our contact info. If not, just maybe you remember it from the top, but we want to hear what you think. And it's time for beer number two, the highly anticipated going to set the tone for our feelings towards Jackrabbit for the rest of forever. Maybe not that intensely, but either way, it is time for beer number two. So, Johnny, what is it? I'm drinking it. Oh, you look, I feel like sometimes we need to open stuff together and then I'll give this intro <laughs> and like, you're like, oh, yeah, I've been drinking it for 20 minutes. I'm like, what are you doing? No, I <laughs> just took my first sip of right. citrus sunset. Well, I'm going to open it. Okay. It is a blood orange IPA, six and a half percent. Don't get much of a description other than that. So blood orange, I think there's nothing else on the can. Yeah. Just blood orange, 16 ounce cans, citrus sunset IPA. Uh, very beautiful can design we're looking at like a sunset with a field of sunflowers and yeah again very eye-catching very summery very time of the year appropriate so i have sipped it max have you just took my first sip um uh yeah okay um comparably subtle when it comes to the fruit flavors it's definitely still bitter it's there's no mistaking this as a west coast ipa um I think it's the right way to say it. It's definitely a West Coast IPA. There oh, yeah. is a bunch of citrus. I don't know that I personally would have picked out blood orange. I might have gravitated towards something like a musty grapefruit, which yep. is also to say it's not the brightest IPA I've ever had, but I don't hate it on my first sip. I will tentatively say that I so far enjoy it. What about you? Yeah, it's really as advertised with the, I didn't even notice with the, with the title. It's ad ad. I, keep cutting my own sentences off. It's ad- advertised as a citrus sunset IPA. Sure. I grabbed this thinking it was just a quote unquote citrus IPA. Didn't even notice until we got into the notes and I was like checking out the beers that, yeah. oh, hey, it's a blood orange IPA. Cool. Yeah. That's exciting. Curveball to myself. Uh, so I like it just for what I thought it was. It was just going to be a citrus forward IPA. It is definitely pithy, yep. super, super rindy, very grapefruity. I can't say that I'm picking out any blood orange at all. Blind folded, possibly, I would say this is a grapefruit IPA. Yeah, on a second drink, I actually found it. And I'm not like, I don't eat, like, I don't wake up and crack open a blood orange every morning. Like, I haven't, I don't have them all that often, but. Well, they're not eggs. <laughs> That's true. You never just crack open an orange. You don't want you to just super, crack. That's how you know they're ripe. You just crack open. <laughs> just just falls you out. <laughs> opening an orange on the edge of a frying pan. Yeah. Um, but there, I mean, there's something to be said for for a little bit more of a robust kind of uh, intense citrusness that isn't quite as sharp as maybe your typical grapefruit or orange. And I do get some of that. But I was going to ask you also, man, if you can call to mind many blood orange IPAs. Well, you got the blood transfusion from track seven. Sure. Um, There's been a few. That's the one that comes to mind. My brain goes to brew free or die, the the blood orange variant from 21st Amendment. Um, And I'm sure there's more. I'm pulling up a list real quick. Oh, sure. Um, Dogfish Head does Sunday Feels, which is Mm -hmm. one that I haven't had, but I have heard of. And then there's a few more listed here that I've not even heard of. So I'm not going to bother and just seem like a poser. But there's plenty of blood orange IPAs out there, I think. And certain certainly blood orange beers. Um, it goes. Yeah. People put them in. It's like a. It's like a. Feels like they're trying to go for like a classier citrus IPA, right? And it doesn't always um, work. I don't think it works super well in um, in the Track Seven beer. I do think it works well in the Twenty First Amendment. And I'm trying to figure out if I think it works well in this. 
See, I remember liking blood transfusion, but I haven't had it in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to revisit it because, like, on, for example, on Track 7's website, they say that pomegranate and pomegranate and raspberry qualities in blood oranges uh, make exceptionally good IPAs. Interesting. Which I'm not super well-versed in just what blood oranges taste like, so I would like to maybe get a firmer grasp on that flavor profile before I can judge that against, you know, an adjunct IPA because... I know what a grapefruit tastes like. Kind of tastes like this. Um, yeah. I would like to know what this is achieving or what it is missing when it comes to blood orange profile. Don't think I can fully attest to that without having that base of knowledge. But what I can say, this is a nice beer. It's really approachable, very crushable. I love the level of bitterness. It reminds me of just like a straight up hardcore West Coast citrus IPA. Um mm-hmm. This beer for me is like like a strike right down my wheelhouse. Oh, it's, nice! Uh, Wait, are you are you pitching? Or are you hitting in this scenario? I'm hit. I'm hitting. It's a strike right at me. It's in my strike zone. It's a but good a pitch str- to hit. I don't mean to throw some sports logic, but a strike is when you've swung and missed. Is it not? <laughs> uh, a ball can be a strike without, like, if it's a strike and you hit it, it was still going to be a strike. I feel like they've like, they have pitched a strike. And and mm. the, the and that doesn't it's not a great analogy like they the swinger the batter has missed and they've sunk it right into the catcher's mitt it was a total strike. Otherwise, you'd say they knocked it out of the park. Mm. Okay, I don't you know, know who the I mean? listeners are going to trust with sport analogies here. I know they're that's fine. I just figured I'd take a swing at it. Hell, oh, oh, oh. um, <laughs> and they're back on the right. side. <laughs> so this beer is right in the sweet spot of my strike zone where okay, I want awesome. the ball to be pitched so I can hit it out of the park. Okay. Okay. We've full uh, circle. I love it. Yeah, no, it's definitely right up my alley. This beer is my speed for sure. It's subtly sweet. It's got like a little bit of like bitter juiciness right on the finish and like on the mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. that kind of cuts the dryness of the finish a little bit, which I like. Uh, it's aggressively bitter though. It is like the aftertaste is not particularly pleasant. This is one of the more bitter and gnarly hoppy beers that we've done in a while. It's, it's stony even, uh, sorry, the brewery stone. It's very stone aggressive. It's got that kind of really bitter biting kind of aftertaste that I remember when I first tried something like, even just their normal IPA, but there's one other one, Arrogant Bastard, which is a pretty multi mm-hmm. IPA, but still like very, very bitter on the back burner. And this has mm-hmm. that for sure, which is not everyone's cup of tea. I don't necessarily know that it's mine, but I do know that most of the time it's yours. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I, I like this beer quite a bit. It it strikes that mark for me as far as just real bitter. Enjoy, I enjoy that. I mean, if you don't enjoy that, you're obviously not going to like this as much. But I really like that style of beer, that West Coast tradition of being aggressively hoppy and just really like chewy hoppy. I like it. I like it less than you, but I still like it. Um, there's Yeah, it's, it's mostly the bitterness that I find out a little bit off-putting. And there's something... I don't know, man. When I go for West Coast IPAs, I go for that sort of bright... If it's going to be citrus, I go for the bright citrus. Those really sort yeah. of crisp uh, tangerine kind of notes. Maybe not tangerine, um, but like lemony and grapefruit, certainly, and, and maybe even a bit orangey, like those really bright ones. And this falls more in line with the kind of musty, heavy, pairs really well with a heavy malt backbone kind of hot profile. And mm-hmm. it's not bad. It's just, for me, uh, can be a bit daunting and not something that I turn to fairly very often. That's fair. Yeah, this is the 
in the the area of beers that I would probably seek out if I was craving this particular style. So yeah, definitely like it more than you, I think. How much do you like it in numerical values, one through ten? Six. Okay. Yeah, I just want to point out that we're drinking this about a, a month old. So very fresh. I think our first beer was about two months, if I'm not mistaken. So mm-hmm. both of them well within the window of what you'd expect uh, them to to keep their quality in. Yeah, this is uh, this is a 7.5. This is a solid 7.5 seven five all-day IPA. Okay, I think that's really great. Can you tell? We didn't even ask this in the first segment, but where can people find this in town if they want? Uh, I picked up both of these beers at Spike's Bottle Shop right here in Chico, California, off of East First Avenue near In Motion Fitness. That's right. You can find Spike's Bottle Shop on all wow, the social medias at Spike's Look Bottle at Shop. Go. I don't know. I'm just, I went into commercial 1270 mode. 1270 East First, if I'm not mistaken, from back in our years where they were advertising with us. I believe it was 1270 East of First. Yeah. Anyways, I love Spike's. I love Kevin. He's a great dude. And they have excellent beers. So, they're one of the several spots that we source beers from from the show. Check them out. Yeah. Buy these beers. If you're not in Chico, uh, Jackrabbit distributes, obviously Sacramento, obviously up north towards us a little bit here in Chico. Um, Bay Area, I believe, they have San Joaquin Valley listed on their website. So chances are, if you're listening to this north of the grapevine, you can probably get your hands on some Jackrabbit. And I think uh, this being their fourth appearance on the show with a mixed bag today skewing positive, I think we both say try it. How much? How much were these? They were both beers were under like five bucks. Yeah. All right. Cool. If they if you're gonna say like like seven is too much, I think. But anything below seven, I think, is probably reasonable. I agree with that. And below five is a steal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything else on beers or anything else you forgot to say about Summer of Soul, or should we just move into uh, to Hot and Bothered? No, man. I think we're there. We've covered all the the bases. We've we've pitched all the strikes. We've swung at all the balls. Let's do it. Let's score okay. a touchdown. Okay, let's find our harmony voices. We'll sing along to this magical tune. Everybody ready? And a three and a four and a... Very, very we, nice, everybody. You sounded great. I thought we were going to actually sing. Well, I was, you, you're I was welcome ready. To. I, I was going to say that we just made everyone think that you and I were singing there. Oh, yeah. But if you want to give it a go, you're welcome to. No, I'm good. I thought we were going to do it together because you said get your harmony voice ready. And I was like, all right, <laughs> I'm ready, Max. Let's do to this. To our listeners. <laughs> I don't know. No one else is here. It's just you and me. I didn't think anyone was listening. Well, then here we are in Hot and Bothered. It's me and you. <laughs> and and maybe people are still around and they sounded great. We'll assume everyone just sounded great singing that. Let's talk. If you've never heard the show before and you don't, what do you always mean, Hot and Bothered? It's the part of the show where we talk about things that don't necessarily have to be beer and movies, and it's just stuff that has us really excited or potentially bummed out, which translates to hot and bothered in our lives. So, Johnny Summers, why don't you start with something for me? You've been streaming anything new, anything new to Netflix by chance or Hulu or any of the streaming services? Yes, you dirty, rotten cheater. You looked at my notes. You knew something we, was we, sh- we share notes. <laughs> we do share so. notes. Yeah. Um, season two of a, a series called I Think You Should Leave Mm. is now streaming. It's called I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson. And boy, let me tell you, this show happens to you. You don't watch it. You feel like sometimes it's watching you. It is a ridiculous, outlandish, sometimes incoherent sketch comedy television show Mm -hmm. with like probably six different little sketches and maybe things in every episode, sometimes less, sometimes more. Um, it is fantastic. If you're a fan of things like Portlandia Key or Peele? 
what's that? Key and Peel, yep. very good example. Like early Chappelle show. Yep. Uh, I think you should leave is right up your alley. There's there's some really on the nose, just funny physical comedy. There's really like deep sarcasm and more involved stuff. Uh, but overall, man, I love that show. We you put it on, it's really hard to turn off. Um, I can't say enough. I really like it. It is a brand of comedy that I don't usually indulge. Yeah. But when I do, it's kind of like specific for certain shows like this. And there's a few more that like when a new season drops, I will really get into it, but it's a different brand of comedy, man. But if you like it, you you really like it. And season one was absolutely fantastic. So uh, season two, I'm about halfway through it and it's been ridiculous and very enjoyable as well. Yeah, I checked out season one. I know season two is out. It was kind of on my radar. I haven't watched it yet because sketch comedy shows in particular for me are very hit or miss. I, we're sticking with baseball today and, and it skews towards missing. But, but the thing is, if there's one that does hit for me, I think it's the funniest thing ever. Like Key and Peele, the Continental Breakfast sketch is like what it never doesn't make me laugh. And there's a sketch in season one of I Think You Should Leave where he has sitting at a job interview at like a cafe and then he goes to leave and he tries to pull open the door and it's clearly a push door. He's made a mistake. Everyone knows it. He knows it. The guy he was interviewing knows it. And the dude's like, I think it's a push door. And instead of saying, oh yeah, my mistake. And then leaving, he's like, no, I was here yesterday. It pulls. And then he spends, it's gotta be like 40 seconds pulling this door, like off its hinges and the camera's getting closer. And he's like drooling and veins are bulging. And, 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 <laughs> That might not be your thing. Like most of the sketches are not my thing, but for some reason that was my thing. And it's so funny to me. So yeah. like my, my enjoyment for a show like this is getting through all of it and like remembering what I really like and then skipping everything else. I don't like just putting it on watching all of them probably, but I'm looking for that little nugget of gold in a pile of shit. Probably. Exactly. There's like maybe one little snippet out of every three that I'm like, laughing hysterically at you know what i mean like you yes. really do have to kind of sift through it because they're not all winners just like not every skit on saturday night live is a winner you know there's yes three or four skits every saturday that are just kind of flat and don't work yeah same thing with i think you should leave so yeah here's here's the flip side of that coin so every now and again once in a generation comes along a show that is a pile of gold with maybe a nugget of shit though mm -hmm. in the case of ted lasso Nary a nugget to be found. It's all gold. It's a, all a mountain of gold. Yep. You you were wild about Ted Lasso when it came out last, I believe, July. And Dude, I was so into it. You told me about it, then I became wild about it. And let mm -hmm. me bring you the good news, sir. Ted Lasso season two is airing on July 28th. Um, yes. or, or You know, oh, excuse me, I think it's the 23rd, which is for us uh, and for listeners, if you're listening on the day this drops, today. Um, let me tell you a little bit. If you don't know about Ted Lasso, it's Jason Sudeikis as a guy who was transplanted from America to England to become a soccer coach, a football coach, uh, on a very bad team. And I'll leave it at that. It's very funny. It's very positive. I guess I won't spoil season one because maybe people haven't heard of it. When this show dropped, Apple TV Plus is where you can watch it. And they put out the first three episodes all at once. And then over the course of the next, I believe there were 10 episodes in season one. So seven weeks, they put out an episode weekly. And that seems to be Apple TV Plus's sort of general formula for releasing shows. And I don't know why the F this is the case, but they're like, Ted Lasso season two dropping Friday? We're just going to do one episode. And then there's 12 episodes in season two, so it's not going to be done for three months. 
which is very upsetting because I have allotted an entire day in my calendar to watch season two. And right. moments before we started recording, when I was jotting down notes for Hot and Bothered, I looked it up because I wanted to be able to tell people. And I found out it was just going to be one episode, which is is so, so disappointing to me because season one came at a time during this pandemic, about three months in, four months in maybe, where I needed that endorphin rush of positivity that is that goofy mustache and the bromance between him and Coach Beard and like all the characters and even Rebecca and Higgins and the whole gang. And now I was expecting that hit of endorphins into my freaking arm vein, and I don't get it. I know. That's sad. I want to watch all of them. (laughs) But I guess what I'm going to do instead now is just binge season one, uh, probably on, well, actually maybe on Saturday after I see you because I don't have that gig anymore because of the fire. So whatever. I might just do it Saturday and just watch all of season one and then sort of, you know, bookend it with, with the first episode of season two. There you go. Or the other option is wait until like fall and oh, just can't. watch all of no, season. No, you, it's don't, ho- you don't understand. There's no way. This no, has I been understand. in my calendar. I, I have I specifically like, didn't book a gig this day or or yeah, because I just wanted to watch it. And I've been ever since I heard it was coming out July twenty third or whatever. I, I bet I put this in my calendar in like March. I believe I, it. I am watching it this weekend. Yeah. And if it's we're one kind episode, of all fine. Of, we're all about this show. Yeah, it's it's really good. If you guys haven't seen it and you like, I don't know how, I don't know who doesn't like it. I guess the one thing is that if you're really sensitive to language, it does take place in England and and they're a little bit freer with some words you might find offensive. But if that doesn't bother you, there's nothing to dislike about Ted Lasso. No, it's a goddamn near perfect show. It really is. It's it's so good. But I'm also because of how great it is or how great it was in season 1, I am scared for season 2 a little bit. Right. Because you never well, know, man. That's because we've all been scarred for life by Game of Thrones. I have a Game of Thrones tattoo. I know. I got to walk around with that every day. And people I'm are sorry. like, have you even seen season eight? I'm like, yeah. yeah, <laughs> Yes, I have, sir or madam. It's happened a lot. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You got anything else? I have, I have one more thing I'd like to shout out, but I don't <laughs> want to cut you off. No, I'm done, man. That was it. Okay. A year ago, and this is a bit of a setup. I ordered a Carhartt hat on Amazon.com. Shout out, mm-hmm. Jeff. Um, and it was like an outdoorsy hat. It wasn't like the typical Carhartt work hat. It was like an outdoor version. And you said, and it's not verbatim, but I quote, that hat's never going to see a day of work in its life. And then about a week later, I sent you a picture of that hat covered in paint, mud, all crinkled up because I painted a and fence. And sweaty. And very sweaty. Uh, yeah. Obviously, I'm, very, I'm a sweaty guy. Um, anyways, painted a fence. It took a couple days. It was at my mom's house. And I went down and it turned into a whole thing. And this year, somehow almost to the week, they put in another fence uh, and I spent the weekend painting that. I still have paint on my hands um, for my show tonight. So that'll be a little bit weird. It looks a lot like blood because they went with like a dark redwood kind of stain. And it's not mm. totally on my hand. Like it's part of it's washed off, but it looks like blood stains. And I just wanted to put a little bookmark um, in this so that I can remember this is the the second time I've done the annual fence painting at uh, my mom's house. So that's what I did nice. yesterday. Well, hopefully she just keeps putting out fences. Build that wall. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> There's a lot of traffic. I actually do want them to build a wall, but the price of wood these days. I'm telling you. Um, okay, that's all I got. Thank you for indulging me. I know I, I spoke more than you this time, hot and bothered, which haven't hasn't happened in uh many a moon, I don't think. Yeah. Well, I was I was out of town this last weekend and uh You're like I'm gonna make up for that right now. I'm gonna tell you everything. No, I just <laughs> I just didn't have time to absorb content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was kicking it by a pool drinking beer and nobody Good needs to hear you, about man. how right. amazing my life is that's just yeah. that feels braggadocious it does so. indeed so on that yeah. note i suppose we leave people end of show announcements you got anything unusual 
unusual. Yeah, I don't no. know. Like like weird stuff we got to shout out. I know we're going to shout out breweries and um and movie for next week, but other than that, I think that's the only uh housekeeping we have to do aside from saying that the show of course wouldn't be what it is without the support of Bailey Minardi, um all of our friends and family on Patreon, our folks at the Handlebar. Uh Johnny, what what if you want to go as specific as beers you may, but I think brewery might just do the trick. What are we who are we who are we drinking next week? Next week we're going to be drinking beers from High Water Brewing. Yeah, it's been a minute since they've been on the show. Um, my first exposure to High Water was the Campfire Stout way back in like, I think before we even started the show, but it blew my mind. It was so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose that's a great transition for the film we'll be watching. Speaking of blowing one's mind, uh, it's a film called Old, the newest from M. Night Shyamalan. So believe it or not, there's probably going to be a twist. It's the story of people who end up on a beach and all of a sudden time, great sh- Shout out to our bonus content this week. Passes differently on this beach. My guess, black hole. That's just the quantum mechanic interest in me. But if you get a chance to see old before next Friday and grab some beers from high water, drink along, watch along with us. It'll be a great episode. And I think that's all I have. So that's Johnny Summers. That's Max Minardi. We will see you next week. Don't forget, drink some good beer, watch some good movies, and be good to each other. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.